0: It's time to go inside the front office of the Athletics with the general manager of the A's, David Forst. Here now is the David Forst Show with Chris Townsend. Well, we're really excited about this on A's Cast so we're starting the David Forst Show, the general manager of your Oakland Athletics. Of course, A's Cast powered by TuneIn. And you can't have a full-time 24 station without having the GM on.
1: Yeah, well, I'm happy to uh, spend some time every week, and let's talk about the team, the organization, and uh, see what the fans are, uh, are interested in hearing.
0: You know, it's interesting how things have changed over the years, how years ago, I remember when I got in this business, you only heard from the GM every so often. And then now the demand that the fans want to know more about what's going on with the front office, with the minor leagues, I mean, that's really changed in our business.
1: Yeah, and I don't think it applies only to, to the front office. I mean, the fans want to hear from players, too. And, and with the evolution of technology and social media, I think it's a great thing about our game is that the fans really have direct access to, to all of us. And the players are able to talk directly to fans. We're able to uh, educate them about what we're doing, what's going on in the organization. So I think
0: everybody really benefits. And we didn't get to really talk to you in spring training so I've been wondering you know it's so different year to year right whether your team was in a last place or your team won 97 games what was this off season like going into where you had to make a 90 97 team win better that's not easy to do
1: yeah, I mean, and like you said, every off season is different. Um, you know, coming off of a great year in 2018, I th- I think we we spent a little time kind of assessing what we had and, and what we needed, and and obviously the answer to what we needed was was pitching. Um, you know, we did such a great job last season of of filling the holes with guys like Trevor Cahill and Edwin Jackson and Brett Anderson. Um, and the bullpen carry the load, no doubt. But going into the offseason, we knew starting pitching was going to be a priority. And, and you know, not just five guys, uh, eight, nine, ten guys. That's what it takes to get through a season. Um, so, you know, you have guys who are here, uh, the Daniel Mangdons, the Chris Bassetts, the um, Frankie Montas, you know, we picked up Aaron Brooks at the end of last season, but bringing back Mike Fires, going out and getting Marco Estrada, re-signing Brett Anderson, all those things were were what we talked about in November and December because we knew once we got here into April and and the season,
0: we were going to need a number of guys to fill that role. How about Brett Anderson? If they don't blow that game on Sunday, Brett's starting now four and zero on the season. Yeah. Well, thanks for reminding me about the game
1: on Sunday. Uh, Brett's been fantastic. Um, you know, it was nice to get him into camp on time this year. Last year, he didn't sign until mid-March, but um, you know, we signed him before camp started. Came in, he was focused. Um, and he's done everything, you know, everything great. Had he signed a little earlier, we probably would have had him in time to start one of those games in Japan and one of the first two games of the season. But uh, but he's been nails every time he's gone out there.
0: So you've been around this for a long time in this organization since you've been doing this. What's the major shift, the major change that you have seen from when you started to where we are now with front offices?
1: Wow, it's uh it's a big question. Um, I mean, look, the technology and the availability of data is what has really changed our day-to-day operation. Um, you know, as as sort of as much publicity as Moneyball gets, and, and you're talking the early 2000s there, uh, and we were trying to use whatever stats and data were available, it's it has increased exponentially to where we are. Some days we feel as much like a data company as we do a baseball company. And with that, the size of front offices, the capability of evaluating the players on the field, the guys throughout the minor leagues, all the way down into the amateur ranks, uh, data has really changed the way I think we evaluate and the way we play the game, to be honest.
0: Yeah, I remember reading about Rappasado cameras and the radar and then all these different, uh, these certain cameras to take whatever it is. 11,000 frames per second or whatever, it's – back in the Moneyball days, we were dealing with math equations, right? It was a math equation. Now we're, we're actually starting to use a lot of stuff golf did in the early 90s, places like Titleist. I was talking to my brother who was a a teaching pro in San Diego, and I was telling him about all this stuff that I've been reading about that people are using, and he's like, oh, yeah, Trackmaster, we were testing a Titleist in the early 90s. Now, obviously, back then, they're trying to sell golf clubs and balls through technology, but... Really, it's so much different. It's just not what we see on Baseball Reference anymore.
1: No, it's not. And like you said, it was math back in the Moneyball days, and we were looking at OPS and on-base percentage. And now, now it's technology. We're you know we're measuring everything that happens on the field. And and you mentioned a couple things, but certainly Statcast at the big league level, TrackMan in the minor leagues. Uh, you know, little, little things like Rapsodo and high-speed cameras uh, are giving us an idea uh, for player development, like what guys are doing on the side. So um, it is it is similar to golf. I think you watch, in fact, I watched the Masters over the weekend, and you see, you know, the tracking of the ball and the speed off the club head. And these are all things that I think golfers have been talking about for 20 years. And now we finally have the capability uh, to measure those things. And I know... When a ball gets hit, I know what angle it's coming, how, how quickly. I know how quickly Ramon Laureano reacts to it, how fast he's sprinting after it, how much ground he covers, if his angle was good. I mean, there are very few things that happen between the lines now that we don't have a way to measure.
0: And I think about baseball fans still have a hard time with it. And as you know, I covered the Warriors. And I remember a couple of years ago, the Warriors won the top analytic team in all of sports. And everybody said, oh, isn't this great how Bob Myers and Jerry West and Lacob and Kurt Lacob and Travis Schlenk and how they deal with Steve Kerr and his staff. Everybody loved it. But then it comes baseball season. Why is the manager listening to the front office? It's just, you know, the days of Earl Weaver and Tommy Lasorda, that's just never coming back. Yeah, there's a lot of tradition
1: in this sport, that, which which is what makes it great, but it also makes it, you have to sort of break through with change, and um, you know, you mentioned the manager relationship. I think we're lucky here to have Bob, to have someone who is a partner with us and all this stuff, who has is as interested in the information as anyone in that position and, and wants to try and use it best he can. Um, but, I, I, you know, there's a lot of things in baseball that because of the tradition, because of the history of this game, it, it's change is not always welcome. And And, you know, you look at replay is one thing that, you know, people complain about all the time in baseball. Why are we doing this? Is this... Our replay system, I think, is better than basketball, is better than football. I mean, you watch a basketball game, and in the last three minutes takes 45 minutes because every time something happens, the referees are going to the desk. You know, in football, there's so many things that you, you would like to be uh, replayed but aren't available. So I think we've done a great job as a sport with replay. We've gotten the calls right, which was the idea, but still I think there's a lot of criticism that comes the umpires and the system and the delays and things it just it's the nature of of our narrative is that people like the traditions of baseball you
0: know i think you talked about bob melvin and to be a quality manager today you have to be able, as you said, to understand the data, but you also got to take care of the egos and the guys in the clubhouse. And I think that's where you're, they're having a hard time in baseball, finding someone that can handle the players and handle all the data. You can find someone to handle all the data, but can can you control and get the respect of your players? Talk about how Bob, that's what, one of the reasons he's so good at his job.
1: Yeah, and I think the term manager gets kind of underplayed a little bit. He is managing – 25 guys down there and and frankly more than that because he's got his coaching staff he's got guys who are here on rehab uh they have to deal with he touches base with some of the guys in triple a so he is literally managing like you said the egos and the personalities of all these guys and it's not enough just to to know the matchups and know the data and fill out the lineup you have to be able to explain why you're doing this to those guys who who want to be in there every day, guys who don't want to get pinch hit for, guys who, you know, want a different role in the bullpen, whatever it may be. And um, it's important that we remember this is a people business, and, and we're not dealing with widgets down on the field. We're dealing with human beings, and you need someone like Bob to to help relay that information. So, uh, you know, we have seen different kinds of people be successful across the game, um, but a guy like Bob who has the credibility of having played in the big leagues – who has the intellectual ability, you know, the the to understand the information, but then the people skills really to translate it all. It's it's a great mix.
0: What is the relationship like of a modern day general manager, a front office with a manager now? Because it is different than what it used to be years ago.
1: It is, and it's different at three in the afternoon than it is at 10 p.m. after a loss, or than it is in the off season when you're trying to make moves. It it varies, and and I think we you know we've gotten to a place bob and i and 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 billy as well where we understand you know each person's trying to do a job each person has an opinion and and that you know we're only as good as our sort of joint opinions so we spend a lot of time talking you know we talk about the the game every day the lineup you know the player moves after the game um, everyone's emotional and and we've learned maybe not the best time to go over stuff but you know, in a case like last night, you got to make a player move potentially after the game. So there are times you talk and, and people get emotional and then we're back to business the next day. So it's it's important you understand you have a sort of underlying friendship and relationship that you can bring to those sort of heated conversations sometimes.
0: You know, I get asked questions all the time on the post game show. So I'm just going to, for the fans, they want me to ask you things. I've been talking about how we're going to be doing this every single week. Uh, one is Chris Davis. People want to know about an update, about an extension for a guy that, I mean, he's going to join a very short list this year. I mean, knock on wood, four years of 40 or more home runs. Pretty incredible.
1: Well, he's certainly on pace to do it, and he's been – uh, incredibly consistent. I mean, not just the homers. Obviously, the, the freakish batting average has been documented. This guy hits two forty seven every year, no matter what. It's just it's bizarre. But he is... You know, it speaks to his consistency day in, day out, and the sort of the foundation that he represents of our lineup because you know when you can write him into that four-hole that everything revolves around him. And, and when guys like Chapman and Olsen were just getting out, they didn't have to be the man because Chris was there. And now that they're more established and Steven's here in the middle of the lineup, you can sort of put pieces around Chris and know that he's the guy. So we recognize how important he is to to the lineup, to the everyday performance, and to, and to the organization. And you know, all I can say right now is that we are uh, we continue to have conversations. This has been probably almost 18 months of of touching base with his agent. Dan Feinstein actually uh, has done the bulk of conversing with uh, with Chris's representatives. And and I would say we've made a lot of progress since we first started. Obviously, getting him done this year, pre-arbitration for $16.5 million was important. We, we thought that might be contentious, and, and it worked out great. And, you know, the key is to keep him here beyond 2019. And and uh, both sides think there's some common ground there. It's just we need to find the right number, the right years, and, and I'm still hopeful we get it done.
0: I always say it takes two to tango. It's got to come from both sides. Yeah. And I think about him and all the years that I've been around the A's, and then I think about the guys that were here well before you know we were around. All the big home run hitters, they had big egos. I mean, you think about Giambi, you think about Conseco, you think about Maguire, you think about Reggie Jackson. I think the one thing that's so great about him is he just wants to be one of the guys. He's a superstar who doesn't want to be a superstar.
1: Yeah, you're right. And actually, in that way, he does remind me a little bit of G. Uh, when Jason was here, he was sort of this bigger than life character. And he was on the cover of SI and he rode the motor- motorcycles. Um, but once he got in the clubhouse, he was one of the guys and he wanted to talk hitting. He wanted to help other guys out. He watched video broke stuff down. You know, Jason was like a, was a baseball rat a- and Chris loves hitting and he loves working in his craft. you find him in the cage. You'll find him in the video room. Um, he doesn't have that personality, you know, that outward personality that Jason had. Um, but he touches guys in the clubhouse in his own way, and he'll talk to guys. And you see him during the game talking to, to Bushy, their hitting coach, and you know, giving guys information. He's, he, he, he affects everybody around him.
0: A lot of people wonder, Edwin Jackson, why not sign him? Off-season, spring training, why did it take so long to get him back?
1: Yeah, what was it said? You said a few minutes ago it takes two to tango. Yes. Uh, yeah, we, you know, it was one of those things. Unfortunately, it didn't work out just until recently. But Edwin was, he was so important to what we did last year. You know, his presence in the clubhouse is well documented. This is a guy who has played seemingly everywhere and been liked everywhere, and and his teammates love him. You know, I read the story a couple of weeks ago about what he did for Frankie last year and helping helping Montes get over that hump. So it just, we couldn't come to that common ground in the off season, and, and I think we're lucky now to have signed him to a minor league deal. We're trying as quickly as we can to get him ready to head out to Vegas to start making some AAA starts and then make sure he's an option for us, you know, sometime in May, June, when, when and if we need him.
0: You know, one of the tough things about the postgame show is when people want to talk about injured guys because they're not around us. We don't get to talk to them. I did get to talk to Manai, and it's good to know that he's starting to throw again and feels good. But if we could go through some of the injured guys, we, we, it's kind of like a time frame of when we possibly could see them. Uh, let's talk about Lazardo who was just incredible in spring.
1: Yeah, Jesus, I think, kind of uh, announced his presence a little bit this spring. And we knew coming into spring training that, Uh, a he was going to have a legitimate chance to compete for our team and that he probably was going to impress a lot of people and and he did and and I'd be lying if I said he wasn't on track to make our team prior to the injury Um, but he's feeling great he just started playing catch on Monday Uh, you know we had about a four-week period basically where he was shut down Uh, his shoulders doing really well he's uh, you know really feeling really strong and you know we'll start we'll start a throwing program until he gets on the mound there's really no time frame uh, to know when he'll be back But um, I'm encouraged at how how good he feels and and the fact that he has gotten out there to throw the last few days and hadn't had any setbacks.
0: And the big lefty out of Florida who comes from an amazing football family, the Pucks. Actually, one of his uncles played at Stanford. Coming back from Tommy John, we know with him and Lazardo, my God, if they're both healthy, what this will do for you. Where is he?
1: (laughs) Yeah, I would love to write in Puck and Lazardo for a rotation for the next however many years. Um, AJ's down in Arizona. You know, he was around us in spring training, which was nice. You know, you don't like these the guys on the injured list to be sort of out of sight, out of mind. You want to make sure they feel a part of the team. Everyone knows where they're at. So A.J. was with us in big league camp. He is uh, about a week and a half away from starting to throw to hitters. You know, he's been throwing on the side, off the mound since spring training. He'll start seeing hitters. Like I said, I think uh, last few days of April, and then we'll just progress him through live BP into into rehab games and probably out pitching in the minor leagues late May is my guess. So he's doing great. Jarrell Cotton's actually a couple weeks ahead of him. Jarrell's already thrown twice to hitters and um, similarly should be out pitching for uh, for Vegas in rehab sometime in middle of May, I would think.
0: See, all this will be great for me because i got to do an injury report every day, and now I can just say, today we're talking about cotton. Today we're talking about pucks. This, this is going to make it really good for me.
1: If you just tapped into my email inbox every day, you would see all of this. It's amazing how much time. We spend, you know, going over the, the the injury lists from every night at the affiliates and then from Extended Spring and the rehab guys. You read all the injury reports, then you read all the game reports from the minor league games. Then I you know, I talk with Keith Lippmann our farm director and Gil Patterson, our pitching coordinator, to get daily updates. There's there's, I could fill up many post-game shows with all the all the reports we get every day from the minor leagues.
0: You feel like a North Bay surgeon sometimes.
1: <laughs> I have read more MRIs than some people who spent seven years in medical school. So you know what's the Holiday Inn Express? You know, I stayed there last night. I'll, I'll read your MRI for you. <laughs>
0: So Shum and I is different. I always say that you know we have a cure, Tommy John surgery. Mm-hmm. The capsule and the rotator cuff is a whole different ball game and when guys hurt their shoulders, a lot of guys don't make it back. He's throwing again, he says he feels well. What do you think his timetable is?
1: that one's tricky, and you, like you said, shoulders are, are a little tougher to sort of map out i guess you you sort of have to wait and see how guys feel with tommy john you sort of you know what's been done you have a lot of precedent you can map out twelve to fourteen months with with a shoulder like sean's like you said you don't know how tight it's going to be how much you have to work on the internal and external rotation and then once he starts throwing you have to take it slowly so he is throwing he's actually out to 120 feet i think throwing long toss um, hoping to get on a mound sometime in the next three to four weeks weeks, and and then you go from there, but you don't set a timeline on him until until you get a little further into this, but he feels great. You know, there's everyday things that that he said for years bothered him that now are fixed. That you know, whether it's just you know reaching over his head or combing his hair, whatever the case may be, he said he feels a lot better and that's encouraging.
0: Yeah, you talk about Manaya Puck, Lazardo <laughs> going forward. This could be uh, Montas. This could be a pretty incredible rotation. You know, baseball's changed right in front of our eyes from a from a business standpoint. I've lost track. So ever since the World Series, Red Sox win the World Series, it's like. 34 or 35 extensions for players. No one seems to want to go to free agency. I think all these guys just saw what Harper and Machado went through. We've never seen this many extensions for guys who said, "Okay, I'll take the money and don't worry about my free agency years." Have you been surprised about this uh, uh, by this offseason? You know, some of this individual
1: extensions have surprised me both on the club and the player side. Um, but we've seen that the economics of the game changing now for a number of years, and particularly the last few years with this, this c b a uh teams being less reluctant to go over the tax threshold um, and and frankly teams evaluating players in free agency differently and and looking looking to get younger looking to pay players at a younger age in their prime and you know, you mentioned Harper and Machado. Those guys got paid. I mean, they ended up – it took a while, but they got paid because they're 26-year-old free agents who are going still entering their prime. They're still going to be good for years. It's, you know, it's the 32-, 33-year-old guys who I think we view differently than we did maybe a decade ago. So uh, the extensions, like, have come fast and furious, almost hard to keep up sometimes. Uh, I'm sure A's fans are – are looking down at the field and thinking, Hey, we got a couple guys who, who qualify for that. And and all I can say there is, yeah, we've had those conversations, and uh, it's no you know no secret that, that the kid at third base is is one of the best players in the game, and the guy we hope to have back at first base in the next couple of weeks is is right behind him. And those are those are conversations we've have had with our representatives, and and hopefully our goal is to, to keep them in Oakland uh, for for the, the short term and into a new ballpark.
0: I'm glad you said that so I don't have to ask that question. We'll end on this. Probably one of the best stories I've ever covered in all my years in baseball has been Marcus Simeon. I mean, this is a guy, local kid, Cal, grew up in San Francisco. His dad played baseball at Cal. He led the world. I mean, he led the world in errors. Mm -hmm. And there were so many balls that were picked for him, too. The number could have been a lot higher. To now we're talking about a guy that's a gold glove finalist. And he's and he's healthy, and he's hitting like an all-star shortstop. Just how proud are you of him? Because not only is he a good ball player, he's good people.
1: Yeah, and he is under the radar a little bit because he is quiet and just all he does is work his butt off. And uh, it's great to see. Like you said, who who would have thought after that first year playing shortstop when almost every ground ball that went to him, you kind of had to hold your breath – um, that he would finish the 2018 season as a Gold Glove finalist. And, and it's, it's nothing but hard work that did it. It's such a great story. My, you know, I have an almost nine-year-old son, and there's no better example for me to, to point out than a guy who was here at 2 o'clock every day working with Ron Washington, trying to make the changes. The, the physical ability was always there, and that's why we made that trade for him back uh, after 2014 because he had shown in the minor leagues what he was capable of. And it's been a lot of fun to watch him develop. Um, you know, people ask me a lot, what's the, the best part of this job? Um, and often it's it's seeing a kid all the way from like being an amateur to the major leagues and going out and scouting a Sonny Gray or a Houston Street or, or some of these guys I've seen uh, really young get to the big leagues. It's a similar thing with Marcus. He's a kid who we believed in, we traded for him, put him there every day and, and we all stuck with him because we did it and he rewarded everybody's belief by turning into a, like you said a solid shortstop having a great offensive season so far in 2019 and and being a stand up representative of of his community and and our you know our city our
0: first one in the books we'll talk to you next week looking forward to it thanks chris this has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics